Hello, friends, and welcome to How to Be 40, my podcast dedicated to the attempt to delineate what it means to transition from juvenile thinking and behavior to genuine maturity. So the other day, I'm speaking with someone, I'm not going to say who, and I got triggered. I hesitate to say that word because is that like the new the new crybaby term? Like the whining term? They started whining. They got, they got triggered. I don't know. I got annoyed, upset, irritated, agitated. I don't really know. It doesn't matter. But um, I got triggered. I learned that at the local school here, there are a group of kids who are making fun of another smaller group of kids for being tryhards. The kids who try really hard at everything they do. And so the, what I'm going to call the bullyish group, have labeled the tryhards, they call them sweaties, I guess, because they, they sweat when they try hard. I got a little offended because I was a tryhard. I was the guy who, you know, actually tried really hard. And I had to, I think, because I wasn't particularly athletic uh, back in the day, uh, I really sucked at just about everything that required coordination. I wasn't overly intelligent. In fact, I got my hands on a journal that my mom wrote, and here it is. Let's see here. This is my mom's journal entry when I was a little over two years old. She's describing me, and she says, blah, blah, blah. he's not overly bright or obnoxiously brilliant. Now, that sounds mean, but, but trust me, she wasn't being mean. She's just being real. She's being honest. And uh, she's just not one of those moms who's in denial about their kids, you know, like one of those little Buddhas. The child is adorable, but you're not raising little Buddha over here. Mom, what are you saying? I'm saying that I've seen that kid eat at least 15 boogers since he's been here. And I've got news for you, Jack. Prodigies don't eat their own boogers. You got to admit, that's pretty funny. But anyways, I I was one of those guys, again, I didn't have a lot of talent, so I had to... Touch the lines. You know when coaches run all the way and actually touch line? I had to touch the line. They run 10 laps. I actually ran 10. I didn't run 9. I don't know, man. I had to work hard. I wasn't uh, a guy who could sit back and just, I don't know, survive on talent alone. I actually had to put forth effort. And, and so I guess, I don't know, I just got a little frustrated by that. And I started thinking about work ethic. And my question to you is, you know what? Let me tell one more story before I go on to this work ethic thing. So in high school, I did something called uh, showing animals in 4-H. You've have heard of 4-H, FFA, blah, blah. They show all these little, they show animals, you know. And I went to this 4-H stock show here in, in, locally, you know, in the, in, the, in the county or whatever. But long story short, they had an award for what's called the top hand. So basically, if you worked harder than anyone else, or, or supposedly, if you were the top hand, you you helped out the most over the course of two or three days or whatever, you would be entitled that and they'd give you a jacket. So I work pretty hard. I have eyes on this top hand award. I get the top hand award and they give me this nice jacket that says top hand or whatever. I go to school and I am actually, I am tormented by these people. Now it's not a big deal. It's not a whiny thing because everybody gets kind of made fun of periodically. But these guys vehemently make fun of me. And I, I, I didn't wear the jacket after the first day. I was like, I'm not wearing this jacket anymore because it's just a, a, a magnet for these bullies, you know. And for years, that stuck with me. These guys would make fun of me for being the, quote, top hand, the guy who worked the hardest to earn that award. You know what's interesting? 
when I think, when I look back, that was 20 years ago, not a single one of those people, in my opinion, has accomplished anything worth mentioning in their lives. Not the, half of them are alcoholics and that's just the beginning. I'm not going to go into other aspects of their lives, but none of them. I was the sweaty. I was the try hard and they were the guys labeling me such. I hope that doesn't sound cynical. There is probably some deep cynicism going on there, but Okay, enough of that. I should probably delete all that, but I'm not going to. One thing that my mom did do is she, she gave that to me. She stressed the idea of hard work. She wasn't afraid to put in work herself. So she spent several years as a single mother of two. She never collected a single penny of child support while being a, a, a single mother of two, although maybe she should have. The, 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 dad, the dad was a dud here. She was a teacher for 35 years, and even at 71 years old, or 71 years young, rather, She's still hustling in the game right now. She's retired from music in a traditional sense, but she still teaches music lessons on the side. She plays piano at her church. She digs deep into that Mary Kay game. You know, I don't need any lotion, Mom. Don't call me. I don't need aftershave gel, but props for digging into that Mary Kay game. You're doing great. And she has been doing CrossFit for six or seven years now. Yeah, she's 71 years old, and she's been doing CrossFit for over half a decade. It's pretty boss, right? So time, time, time travel back here. It's July of 1998. I'm preparing to go to college at Angelo State University. I needed a job. I said, Mom, I need a job. She's like, yes, you do. What do I do? She says, go to Red Lobster and ask to deter the shrimp. Now, let me, let me back up. So we were pretty po-folk back then. Red Lobster was like a delicacy. So every year on my birthday, they'd say, Noah, where do you want to go? For your birthday, I'd say, I want to go to Red Lobster and have crab legs. That was like my go-to. I was a big fan of, of RL. But anyways, she said, go deter the shrimp. I'm like, Mom, what are you talking about? So she, she said, you know, when you look at a shrimp, it's got a little black line running through it, you know. Well, that's, that's, that's a turd. Technically, it's a vein. Well, it's a, that's not a vein. They call it a vein, but it's like a digestive tract. It's a turd. She, goes, she said, go to Red Lobster and see if you can be the deterter. I'm like... Well, all right. Obviously, uh, my mom didn't have very high expectations for me if she wants me to deter shrimp. But my point is, she's advocating for me to get a job and not sit on my butt. So I go to Red Lobster, ask to deter shrimp. They look at me really weird. They laugh and they end up hiring me as a host because they say, no, we don't do that anymore, dude. That's taken care of. The point is, is that she instilled in me this idea of a work ethic. And that's what I'm going to dig into. And I want you to think about it and let me know your thought. By the way, Red Lobster worked out really, really well for me until my maturity in the temper realm led to me getting fired by Brett. Brett, I still love you, brother. Brett's a good friend of mine, actually, still. But uh, yeah, he had to fire me. No, <laughs> that's on me. Okay. Anyways, work ethic. Do you have one? Do you think you have one? If your spouse, kids, parents, friends were to define you, to describe you, would they say that you have a good work ethic? First off, let's dig into what work ethic is. If you look it up, the definition is, quote, the principle that hard work is intrinsically virtuous or worthy of reward. So that's what work ethic is. The principle that hard work is intrinsically virtuous or worthy of reward. But what is hard work? So hard work's in there. So hard work is a great deal of effort or endurance. Now, I want to make sure that you think about this. Would people describe you as putting forth a great deal of effort or endurance? And it is intrinsically virtuous to you. Do you have that principle? Do you know someone who has? So 
we've all heard we've all heard about these these really really impressive people, right? When it comes to uh, quote this perceived work ethic. Okay, so Sam Walton, founder of Walmart, he started managing his first store when he's 26 years old. Finds himself at the spearhead of a corporate juggernaut with over 2,000 stores worth almost 50 billion dollars at the time of his death. Heath Ledger, he starts acting at the age of 10 and finds his way into more than a, a dozen blockbuster movies. Heath, he, had, he actually had a reputation for his hardened work ethic. In fact, you can read a 13-page essay dedicated to Mr. Ledger's work ethic alone. You can find that at ukessays.com if you, if you care enough to look at it. Elizabeth Taylor, the English-American actress, she begins her career at nine years old, stars in over three dozen movies, a prominent HIV-slash-AIDS activist, and the first woman to create and market her own collection of fragrances, 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 from which she had two best-selling perfumes. When Jeff Bezos, the Amazon CEO, announced to his high school class that he was going to pursue valedictorian, they gave up. They knew how hard of a worker he was, and they didn't even try to become valedictorian because Jeff simply said he was going to shoot for that goal. He ends up getting it, obviously. Carlos Ghos, the Nissan CEO, he flies more than 150,000 miles a year. Venus and Serena Williams, the tennis players, they started hitting, they started practicing tennis at six in the morning from the time they were seven and eight years old. The former Pepsi CEO, Indra Nooyi from India, she worked the graveyard shift as a receptionist while putting herself through Yale. Now, that's pretty impressive, as you ask me. But, however, and I hope I'm not going to, you know what? I don't care if I insult anyone, but just bear with me. Just hang on with me. These people are not heroes to me, at least at least not, on ba- not based on the information that I've provided alone. In fact, I would argue that those throughout history with the most ingrained, advanced, and hardened work ethic have gone for the most part, unnoticed by the masses. And I want to elaborate, but I'm going to take the long way around, so just kind of stay with me here. So my first, I was a college professor, blah, 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 and I went into the oil field. The oil field is a, is a crazy, crazy part of the world here. But anyways, I am doing some training for my first oil field job in Weatherford, Oklahoma. Just I think it's just about an hour or so to the west of Oklahoma City. One of the big wigs in the company that I'm training for walks in, and he's dressed real nice. He pulled up in like this, uh, I think it was a uh, a brand new red Corvette or something like that. He's dressed all nice, and he's walking around like he owns the world, and the people there are acting like he owns the world. And he's talking about how successful he is at the time, but he mentions, he says that he sacrificed his marriage for this job that he has, for the car that he's driving, and for the money that he gets annually, and for the title. He, he just says that to everybody there. And when he says it, I can't tell if he's saying it with remorse or pride. I really don't know. But he just said, yeah. He said, yeah, I sacrificed a marriage for this. And the oil field, by the way, is littered with those kinds of stories. Some are super, super proud of it. Some maybe not so much. One man, one man, I've been in the oil field for about 10 years now. One man that I met was giving me advice on my career. And he said, you need to be married to your job, not your wife. That's what he told me. Another man that I met said that he would do anything, it, divorce his wife, leave his kids, it doesn't matter. He would do anything for $300,000 a year. I remember that number specifically. So maybe you can kind of see where I'm going with this, but just hold tight. I'm going to back up here. 
Michael Steger, he's a psychology professor at Colorado State University. He talks about something called introjection. I'm not going to get too crazy here, but I just wanted to catch up, you know, stay with me here. Introjection is when we, it's taking something that other people convince you is important and then holding it for your own. So let, let me, let me dig that. Okay. We're going to take introjection. Now, work ethic introjection. That's when we start to define what work ethic is and how it should be applied based on what other people convince you of, okay? So introjection is basically you're going to take what they believe or what someone else believes, take it as your own belief, and then if we if we kind of encapsulate that around this idea of work ethic, it's defining work ethic based on what others convince you of. Does that make sense? So Carrie Rome is a writer for this online resource called The Cut. It's actually just for women. It, <laughs> the Cut is, quote, for women with, quote, sharp, stylish minds. Well, I'm not a woman with a sharp, stylish mind, but I read it anyways. Sorry, Carrie. Hope you're not offended. But anyways, in one of her articles, she points out there is such a thing as too much work ethic when she addresses this idea of work ethic introjection. Stay with me. She says, quote, Unhealthy is what happens when you don't know how to turn off your motivation. It's when the belief that work is inherently good turns into the idea that downtime is inherently bad or wasteful. Did you get that? I ended the quote, by the way. Did you get that? It goes beyond the idea that work is good. It's the belief that not working is bad. Now, there's a donut hole there, but not the main one. If you believe that not working is bad then how you define work and what you're working for is of paramount importance. Let's see if you can guess where I'm going with this, but I'll give you a hint. Sam Walton, I blew it. Those three words were his last words before he died. $50 billion at his death. That's what he's worth. By the way, it's worth more than that now, but he was worth $50 billion. He says, I blew it just before his death. And the reason he realized that he, quote, blew it is because he's looking up at his family on his deathbed and he realized he had neglected them. Michael Lowicks, Mike Michalowicz, an author of multiple bestseller books, he writes, quote, he had the wealthiest pockets, but the poorest soul. And in those last minutes of his life, he realized where he had failed, end quote. So we can all look up to Sam Walton. Oh, he had all this money and power and prestige. And he realized at the end of his life that he sucked it all up. Heath Ledger was so stressed and full of anxiety that he was lucky to get two hours of sleep a night. After playing his role as the Joker in the filming of The Dark Knight, which is arguably his most iconic role, he told a friend, I couldn't stop thinking. My body was exhausted and my mind was still going. He died on January 22nd of 08 with no fewer than six different medications serving as a culprit, including oxycodone, hydrocodone, and Xanax. Remember Elizabeth Taylor? She was married eight times. She was an alcoholic. She was addicted to prescription painkillers and tranquilizers. One of her husbands, Richard Burton, said that she would get to the point where she couldn't read her lines during filming. She was that intoxicated and inebriated and just thrown off of reality. So if you believe that not working is a bad thing, it's important to be cognizant of the various aspects of your life that need work. Listen to me. If we, me and you, if we think that idle time or not being productive in a career is bad, it's important to be cognizant of the various aspects of your life that need work. In fact, you know what? You don't even have to be the first part. But wait, if there are other aspects of your life other than a career that need work, 
because you're focusing too much on, quote, work, then we have a bit of a paradox. Now, I'm sitting up in my seat right now because I want to stress this point here, talking to my computer. Imagine, imagine this, this scenario here. Okay, so an employee goes into his boss's office. The employee says, hey, boss, I need time off work. The boss says, why? The employee says, I need to work on my marriage. I need to work on the relationship with my kids. I need to work on the relationship with my parents and friends too. Now, listen, think about what he said. I need to stop working so that I can work. This isn't a fictitious scenario. He needs to stop working so he can work. So now this idea of work ethic is taking a turn, is it not? So I rethrow the question at you. Do you have a good work ethic? Do I have a good work ethic? So now we might start thinking, well, maybe work ethic is a little bit different than how fast and how much we accumulate in our bank accounts. Remember that quote work ethic is the principle that hard work is intrinsically virtuous or worthy of reward. And hard work is, quote, takes a great deal of effort or endurance. So listen to me very carefully. Work ethic is the idea that putting forth a great deal of effort is intrinsically virtuous or worthy of reward. I really hope you're getting this. So when it comes to me, I just so you know, I am married. I have two children. I need to be a financial provider, whether it's working for someone else, whether it's being an entrepreneur and having a business myself, I need to be a financial provider. We got to pay bills. We've got to have food. We've got to have a roof over our head. We've got to be able to move with our vehicles and have insurance, right? Financial provider. I need to be smart with my money and try to set my wife up and I for a healthy, peaceful retirement. I need to prioritize the passing of assets to my children, teach them about liabilities and assets, and to respect the idea of such. But here's the deal. So many people stop there when they define work and work ethic. They scratch those two off the list. Am I doing a good job there? Yes, that I have a good work ethic. I'm doing my job as a man. Hmm. I would say it goes on. I also need to carve out time to exercise to stay healthy because staying healthy is part of being with my wife and children throughout their lives. And of course, some people will overdo that in the sense of, well, you know, I wake up at three in the morning and I run 30 miles and I swim and I do jujitsu and I do CrossFit and I bench press. So I've got a better work ethic than anyone out there. No, no, that no, no. Fitness and health should be a priority, but your work ethic can't be put in that box of fitness alone. Some people kind of mix that in. Okay, I do fitness and I have a high-paying job. So, yeah, I've got a great work ethic. Try to do more bench press rest than me. You, you can't. You can't. What? What? My friends, I, I've got a 208 friend. No, that, no. I'm sorry, but it goes even further than that. I need to be a present father. Not just a father that makes enough money to buy my kids all the things that I could never have, but I need to, quote, work to watch movies with them, to play basketball, to wrestle, to have conversations with them about school, etc. I need to work to make it crystal clear that they are more important than any career. What about marriage? Too often, okay, so we all know this, but too often when, when two people get married and start having issues, 
putting forth a great deal of effort to make it better is the last thing they're willing to do. It actually takes work. And and let me add tech on, add on to that. What if I want to be more than just a husband? What if I want to actually be a good husband? My friend would, my friend would use the term, what if I want to suck less, right? I want to suck less. I want to actually be a good husband, not a sucky husband. I want to be a loving and supportive husband. I want to be there to help my wife with whatever she may be doing, laundry dishes or whatever. If she's walking in 28 degree weather in the sleet for 45 minutes to accomplish a goal of hers, I need to be willing to go out and suffer with her, even though I'm not, I'm not really putting that challenge on myself. I need to do that. I need to watch movies with her. I need to tell her how beautiful she, how beautiful she is and how much I love her. And just so you know, and women, you may not know this, but guys, I realize that might be work for you. Maybe it actually is, takes a great deal of effort to muster up the courage and swallow enough pride to tell your wife that she is beautiful and that you love her. You don't want to sound like this little weakling that's soft. Shut up. Be a man. Telling your wife you love her and that she's beautiful is being tough. You're afraid you're going to be called a sweaty if you actually tell your wife you love her? If so, you don't deserve her. I'm sorry. I'm getting off my soapbox before I get started. I need to work to swallow my pride and apologize to my wife or kids when I've done wrong. And this is a big one. That takes work. It takes effort to swallow your pride and admit when you've done something wrong. Trust me, I know, because I've had to swallow that pride many times and look my daughter, look my son, look my wife on the eye and say, I'm sorry I screwed up. A man once tried to give me advice and he said, never apologize. That was his advice. Never, the, never apologize. And when he said that, I sincerely thought to myself that this is one of the dumbest human beings I've ever communicated with. I need to work, and this is going to sound weird, but bear with me. I need to work to add idle time where I can relax, where I slow down, where I allow stillness into my life. I have to work to stop moving. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up here, and I want you to try to stay with me as I bring this all together here. So, so we are consistently being pressured to mold our definition of success and the work it takes to get there. I just, does that make sense? We're, the, the media platforms, all of them, are disturbingly effective at sparking introjection, causing us to adopt the ideals they project. This is why we put celebrities on pedestals. Here's the truth of it. We need to be very cognizant of and careful with how and where we allocate our commitment to succeed, to be better. We should consistently evaluate not only what direction our determination is leading us, but what it's potentially pulling us away from. That's a big one. If I'm so committed to a career, money, prestige, title, etc., Am I failing as a father? Am I failing as a husband, a friend? Is my health taking a hit? I need to ask myself these questions consistently and follow up with the courage to be honest with myself on the answer. If I'm immersed so heavily in a hobby or sport that other parts of my life start to break down, I am lying to myself and quite possibly others, if I claim to be strong-willed. Air quotes on that. Yeah, I might be a super dedicated athlete that trains all night and day, but in truth, I've got a very crappy work ethic. 
And on a cousin to that, am I a slave to a negative destructive habit? And at the same time, claim to have a strong will or a strong work ethic. If so, then maybe it's time to apply that work ethic. Maybe it's time I start putting my actions where my mouth is. Now, I want to add a caveat to all of these words, and that is that they are not directed at anyone particular. Um, well, no, that is actually a lie. <laughs> it's very much a lie because they are directed straight at me, which is why I'm talking about it, but I'm just sharing it. If we, if we look back, the letter from Paul to his, uh, his homies at Ephesus makes it very clear that distractions in our lives are exactly that. They're distractions. And further, these superficial things are fleeting. So to me, it makes sense to use my work ethic to drive me to be better, to suck less, as my brother Tosh would say, to prioritize accordingly and not let the truly important things in life be ignored under the guise of a, quote, will to succeed or work ethic. We cannot let others, the world, convince us otherwise. Work ethic interjection should not influence us to the point of failure at the aspects of life we should be most committed to. I'm Noah Dean. Thanks for listening. 